Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, Managing Editor of Television for Variety, and today my guest is Tyra Banks. Banks is the epitome of the new breed of celebrity who have become brands unto themselves. Banks made an appearance at Variety's Path to Parity Summit in Los Angeles on June 6th to talk about her transition from supermodel to super entrepreneur, as well as being a TV star and a social media dynamo. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you, Tyra, for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. You are um, just a perfect person to kick off what we hope is going to be a really productive day of talking about the true, how, how do we get on the path to parity? Mm-hmm. Solutions, best, pa- best practices. This is, not, this is not a day of lamenting or, or regrets, but about going forward and going forward in, a, in an, an important and a more equitable, equitable way. And, you know, you're, throughout your career, from the time you were, you were rising up through the modeling world in the early 90s, what's really impressive is you've always done it on your own terms. Even even as you you know even as your modeling career took off and um, because you and then you know branched out into television and retail products a, a line of beauty products books uh, you're a you're a multi-platform media maven because your career has really intersected fashion and beauty and entertainment and these are sectors that have. You know, in this moment that has kind of become known as the reckoning, these are these are all sectors that have been very much under the microscope for conduct and behavior that you know we're all kind of shocked and dismayed has been has been exposed and has been tolerated for so long. Can you tell me from your experience what you think is the most significant um, significant momentum or initiative to come from this moment that we that we've sort of been calling the reckoning? I think one of the most significant things from it is that it's not, it's not okay. It's been very normalized. For instance, in the fashion industry, which is the majority of my experience with this, um, it just was. It just was a thing. Um, and I was very lucky to not experience it firsthand. However, I would go to uh, what we call go-sees, what you guys call auditions in, in, um, in the Hollywood world, um, I would go to a go-see and show my portfolio to a photographer at his apartment in Paris, 7 p.m. Already a situation kind of like, it's kind of skeevy, right? But that just was normal. He'd look at my book, no problem, I'd leave. The next model would walk in there, and then she'd come and tell me the next day that he pulled something out. And it's just like, what? And then you move on because it was normal. And so it became this like kind of underground communication of who to stay away from, who to watch out, you know, make sure the makeup artist is in the room when you're working with so-and-so. But again, it was normal and how to protect yourself in this normal, disgusting world and situations. You had to have a coping strategy. There was a coping strategy, Incredible. Yes. What do you think now, again, now that it, it, it feels like a significant, feels like the watershed moment, you know, time will tell. We, we can hope. It feels like the watershed moment. Do you feel like just the sunlight on these practices is going to help? Do you think it's a generational shift that is going to help it so that the, the, so that the new generation of Tyra Banks coming up yes. don't ever have to do that photographer dance in a Paris Yeah, I, I, it, it, I, men are scared, and they should be. They should be terrified. And I'm not talking about the men of tomorrow. I'm talking about the men that have committed these acts. 
um, and it has definitely shed a light on um, certain ones that we are aware of. And then there are others that are like, is it going to happen to me? And they're like biding their time and maybe feeling like it's going to happen, it's going to be um, revealed. And I think it is a beautiful, amazing, empowering time. Um, and yeah, I'm, I, I can't believe it. There's some times when I'm just like, wow, I can't believe this. And um, I mean, I'm thinking about stories, and it's not even just, you know, of course, as we know, females that have been uh, victimized. Um, me, again, with my roots coming from the fashion industry, I heard this from male models. And male models that, um, when we talk about parody, my, my experiences in my fashion days, the parody, there was a parody problem, but for guys. So I would be on a set and modeling and be getting 10 times the amount of money that that male model was making. And so what, what happened was the balance of power was shifted. So that male model felt so vulnerable, he needed to work. He needed to pay his rent. So if this photographer is pressuring him to do something, he feels like, one, if he doesn't, he's going to be blacklisted. And two, how's he going to pay his rent? Because this guy is constantly hiring him over and over again. So it was interesting that when I entered the entertainment side on, um, on the media side, it was flipped. Mm-hmm. And the power went to the man and not the woman in terms of pay parity and um, even the super um, vulnerability when it comes to discrimination. Mm-hmm. Wow. That I've seen a, both sides. Yeah, that's an interesting yeah. perspective that you bring to it. Um, you know, well, there is no better way to take, literally take control of your own destiny than being the CEO mm-hmm. of, of the various ventures. You have just published, just a couple months ago, published a book with the wonderful title, Perfect is Boring, yes. 10 Things My Fierce Mama Taught Me About Beauty, Booty, and Being a Boss. <laughs> yes. And everybody gets a book. You get a book, and you get a book, and you get a book today. <laughs> I'm going to give it to my son as a handbook. Which I love that you're going to give it to I'm your son, it to because son. there is a chapter in there called Eight Words to Watch Out For. Mm. And when your son reads that, he's going to be like, Mom, I can't believe you. It's like, well, you might say those words one day. Yes, you guys will see what I mean. Let's talk about the being a boss component of of that book. What was it, what tools did you have? What was it that put you on the path to being the head of your own company, Mm -hmm. to to being, you're you're now revving up your production company in a big way, Mm -hmm. to being the, not, not just the host, but the exec producer and the, instigator of America's top model of franchise that is going on, you know, is going on 25 almost 20, cycles. Yeah, yeah, almost 20 years on TV, <laughs> which is, which is, I don't have to tell anybody in this room, that's a feat. Yes. That's a franchise. That's yes. a boss. So I think me being a boss came from pain, mm-hmm. came from being told, no, mm-hmm. you can't. You know, it started with me being a model and being told, and you know, there's, you know, 200 models at this modeling agency and we only have one black girl, which means that there's no space for you. You know, being told that as I, as I was successful as a high fashion model and then gaining weight and being told your butt is too big for these Italian fashion shows and so you're not going to do these fashion shows anymore. You know, and so that uh, created in me an empathy for women and physical discrimination. And that became my, my, the, the, the thing that made me wake up every single day and say, I'm going to fight for booty. I'm going to fight for brown skin and yellow skin. And, you know, like that, my pain turned me into a boss. 
Um, at the same time, when I pitched America's Next Top Model to my agent at the time, my little acting agent, I was trying to be an MTA, model turned actress, child, that didn't work. But my agent, when I pitched this idea to him, it was the third idea that I pitched. I was like, I have this show. It's American Idol meets the real world set in the modeling industry. And I want to do this. And I want to. And he just was like, models are unsympathetic characters and vapid. And no one wants to watch that. <laughs> he said that. And it was my third idea that he said was a bad idea. And I went to my friend Kenya Barris. Where's Kenya? Are you in here, Kenya? Raise your hand, Kenya. Kenya is here. He is here. I just saw him in the hallway. Okay, so Kenya's there, and I went and complained to Kenya, who was a writer at the time. And and he was like, I'm tired of this, Ty. Your ideas are really good. So he took it to his agent, and I connected to Ken Mock, beautiful Asian-Chinese brother. And um, and then he understood what the story that I wanted to tell. A producer. And the producer, Ken Maki, executive producer. He's like a godfather of like competition reality. And um, and so we went on this path together as partners and with Kenya helping to develop as well to um, use the modeling industry as a microcosm for beauty and 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 the glass ceiling of beauty. And um, and so I feel like over 24 cycles we've actually changed what beauty means to young women around the world that it's not a cookie cutter, that there's so many different aspects of beauty. And I see it reflected now in different ad campaigns and everywhere. And I really do think that almost 20 years ago, America's Next Top Model spearheaded that. In the sense that in the, sense that the show has, all, has as, much as, the, as much as the physical appearance has talked about who they are as people. Who they are as people as well. And being a boss and, and that, you know, the modeling industry is not called modeling playtime. It's called the modeling business. Right. So go to work and take your ass home. That's what I say. And then today, I tell girls, go to work, go to the damn club, take two Instagram photos, then take your ass home. <laughs> That's what I tell them. Get your, be- get your be- beauty sleep, right? Yes. But what was it, if I take you back, you know, when you're a model and you're under this incredible pressure and there's a, you know, tiny, infinitesimal number of people that want to be models that actually make yes. it, what was it that gave you the, the fortitude, the, the spine to say, no, I'm not going to starve myself. Yes. I look beautiful. I'm going to. I'm going to find the. I'm going to find the the the, the venue that 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 accepts yes. my beautiful body. Yeah, I wish I can say that I was so strong and I looked that agent in the face and says, "You watch me. I'm going to change my career." Unfortunately, um, or actually fortunately, it was a different story. My they, this agent gave my mother a list of eight modeling agents, eight. Uh, Italian fashion designers and their household names that did not want to hire me anymore because my butt was getting too big and my boobs were popping out and I was going through puberty. I was turning into a woman. And my mom showed me the list of eight, agent, eight designers and I just started bawling and crying. And I was like, Mama, what should I do? Should I starve? Okay, I'm just going to have you know one egg white in the morning and some celery and work out twice a day during fashion week. And I, I, I just don't know. And I'm just bawling. And my mom, she took me by the shoulders like this and she shook me like a rag. The head and the weave was just going like that. And she said, I will be damned if my daughter starves for this industry. So you know what we're going to do? And I'm like, <laughs> like the ugly Kim Kardashian cry. <laughs> and she's like, we are going to eat pizza. <laughs> so we went to this pizzeria on Corso Magento, which is a street in, in Milan, Italy. And you know how pizza, they have like that butcher paper? She put a pen in my hand and she said, you write down every client in this industry that likes ass. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Ass, big ass. <laughs> and I was like, Sports Illustrated? 
And she's like, write it down. And I was like, Victoria's Secret. Write it down. So then I have this list. And then she goes, now who has an ass? Cindy Crawford. <laughs> write it down. And so then I have this list of clients that liked ass and models that had ass. And she said, those are your future clients. And those are the careers that you're going to emulate, but make it your own. We tore off that paper and took it to my agent in New York and gave him the ass list. And he was like, what the hell? Black girls don't do this stuff. There's no black girl that does this. And my mama said, my black baby's going to do it. And I pivoted and left high fashion and went to the ass. Yes. Please tell me you still have that list somewhere. You know what? I don't have. A, yes, I do have the list. <laughs> the piece of paper. Don't, uh, that would have been great, right? For like a museum. For, or like for the book or something. Body image. Um, and uh, you were, in fact, the first African-American woman to be on the, uh, the cover of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit. Yes. So that and was the first Victoria's Secret angel that was black and an original angel and the first black girl to wear the Victoria's Secret angel bra and all that stuff. Yes, so the list worked. It did. So a lot of my success is really through pain and fighting through pain and fighting through when you just feel like there's just no hope. And what my mother taught me is she says, you know, that front door is going to be closed for you because you were a woman. And that front door is going to be even double closed because you were a black woman. But there is a window. There is a side door. There is an attic. You can climb up that wood siding and get into that attic. There's a cellar. There's a basement. Doesn't matter how you get into that house of success. Just get in. That's what you tell me. It, it's, it sounds like an amazing role model and a great foundation. Yes, yeah. my mom is fantastic. Really fantastic. <laughs> and then as you. Um, as you got into entertainment and started working as a producer and a, and a spokes, spokesperson for brands and things like that, did, um, I mean, you know, we've all heard that it's, you know, particularly, you know, beautiful women walk into a room and people think she's beautiful. She doesn't have a thought in her head. Did you feel like, was it, did you feel discrimination? Did, did, was it hard for people to take you seriously as a businesswoman? A hundred percent. I don't even really think so much beauty as, it, as just the, my the model. You know, because not all models are necessarily beautiful. They're just selling clothes. But so I did feel that it was like a model um, a challenge that I had. Um, I can remember one of my early producers on my team of America's Next Top Model. Every editing session, every everything that we did, he would combat me and contest everything. And I could tell it was personal. And I was his boss. But something in me, I don't know what it, what it is, and I can't even, I cannot say that it was strength. I did not fire him. It was more like I was scared to. I, I didn't understand my power, but he was definitely a, an issue and a problem. Um, after the first episode aired of America's Next Top Model in the second and third, and we had these unprecedented numbers, he came to me. In 2003. In 2003, on back UPN, in the day. On UPN. Back, when. <laughs> back in the day, he came to me and he said, everything that you did was right, and I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah, and I got like teary. I was like, oh, yeah. But yeah, he said I was being prejudiced because of where you came from and this whole modeling thing. And I was like, how can she just come off a damn runway and have more instincts than me? He goes, but you have them. And I apologize. Wow. That must have been gratifying. That was super gratifying. Yeah, I still didn't like him after that. Still, 
<laughs> but, uh, but he was on the team for a couple of years after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Did you, um, it sounds to me, I mean, it seems to me like, because your, your career trajectory has been so, so, so fast and mm-hmm. so high, you've, you've hosted talk shows, you, you had a talk show for a couple of years going in daytime syndication. Is it a kind of a case you, you, you jump into the pool and learn as you go? Yes. That- I'm so attracted to risk. Like, I'm sure a lot of you guys are in this room too. It's like, it, it hasn't been done, or they say it's going to fail, or it's just like, ah, let me get at it. And I'm very good at spin, so I have lots of failures that I don't necessarily <laughs> talk about. Um, but I definitely have had those those failures. But I really do love new and exciting. And I remember when I decided to do a talk show, actually, it was because I had uh, been a correspondent for Oprah Winfrey mm. on her show back in the day. Mm-hmm. And so Telepictures came to me and said, do you realize what your numbers are doing every time you're on Oprah's show? I don't know anything about ratings and my managers at the time weren't even watching that and they were like there's a spike with 18 to 34 and so we want to do a a talk show with you and so I did a talk show I was told that talk shows um they fail uh 90% of talk shows fail before you know like three weeks like you know you just know it's not going to work and so I moved out of my beautiful home in Beverly Hills and moved across the street from the Grove in the Palazzo (laughs) because we shot at CBS Television City and so I would, I was living in those palazzos, going through the Grove to go to work with my little back card. If you, if you guys know about working there, you can like, there's like a little secret card you can get through the Grove to Television City. And I did that for a year just to make sure my talk show did not fail. You made that com- commitment. I made that commitment. Yeah. yeah, I lived on set. I lived in those offices um, with my team just to, to really make sure we didn't fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now um, you are right at the very beginning of really revving up. Uh, you're calling, you're, you're launching a new content company called Rocket Fuel. Tell us about Oh, no, that. not me. No, uh, Bankable Productions. Oh, excuse me. It's okay. Bankable it's Productions. Okay. Bankable Productions. So, yeah, um, my production company um, is called Bankable Productions. And um, I have for a while been on simmer with it. Mm-hmm. Um, constantly people are coming to me and pitching. And I actually went back to school for a while. So I'm into Harvard Business School's owner president management program. Um, to really get, um, it's a beautiful executive education program. They have kind of like an executive MBA. So I really focused there as I wanted to take what I have from a natural gut instinct but connect business to it. And so now I am pretty much relaunching Bankable Productions and am looking for an executive to run it with me. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, yes, and our focus is, um, you know, unscripted and, um, and um, scripted television. Uh, and as well as I'm going to create a children's division and create um, content for children. And I'm not necessarily interested in just creating TV for TV's sake. I'm really um, wanting to create businesses and, and formats that are very strong around the world. I have so much experience with America's Next Top Model and that format and us being in 180 countries and at our height having 40 international vo- versions of the format. So I'm really looking to create... Um, Businesses, but not just um, in terms of formats, but every project that I have, I have a 360-degree monetization strategy so that it goes beyond just um, just the content, but what are the um, other ancillary revenues that can come from that. So that, That's, the, that's the game right now. It's, that's the game, it's yes. About, it's about global scale and exactly. ancillary markets, as you yes. said. Yeah. And with my um, personal reach being really broad, I think I have, I don't know, 50 million across my... Um, Social media, you know, and it, a lot of it is international. I'm so really interested in um, doing something internationally right now. I have a Korean project that I'm very excited about. Yes. Korean television? Or? I don't know. Korean something. <laughs> something <laughs> in Korean. 
<laughs> okay, well, well, we'll stay tuned on that. Um, and you're talking about it's interesting. Um, you're also in all your spare time. I can't believe you found the time to take a you know a Harvard um, Business School course. But in all your spare time, you are also teaching yes. personal branding at Stanford Business University. How, yes. how did that come about? So I was um, speaking at Stanford uh, two years ago um, in, in a room called it's a Simex. It's like a really big room. A couple thousand students were in there. And I finished speaking, and I went backstage. And then one of the students that was hosting me was like, Miss Banks, do you mind if there's one of the professors that kind of wants to talk to you? And I was running to the airport. I'm like, God. It's like, but I can't say no to a Stanford professor. That's rude. Okay, maybe I'll miss my flight. So the professor comes to the back, and she introduces herself. And she said, you know what? I just saw you speak, and that's not a speech. That's a class. <laughs> and what do you think about teaching a course here and creating a curriculum with me? And her name is Allison Kluger. And um, we hold up in, in, at, at Stanford as well as in Los Angeles here at my home for months and months and months and created this curriculum. And the class is called Project U. And it's all about um, developing your personal brand. So my class has um, students that are entrepreneurs, um, people that are in the medical field, like doctors. I have one of my students created some type of heart, fake heart valve, and he wanted to trans- transition to the business side of medicine. Um, I've had people in the food service industry. Um, one of my students, I'm, I'm like a fan of his family. He is um, one of the heirs to the Lowry's um, Steakhouse um, mm-hmm. brand. Um, so he was my student this year. And I was literally grading papers on the airplane yesterday. <laughs> grading papers, yeah. And my, uh, my co-teacher was like, you're being real generous. She's great. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, there's certain things she's like, you're being a little harsh. And this one, she's like, you're being a little generous. Um, but, yeah, I just did their final papers on the plane yesterday. That's amazing. But everybody can have a personal brand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, particularly in our world, especially as women, it's such a competitive advantage if you can figure out what makes you not better but different. And I teach my students this, that different is better than better. Yeah, there's a better producer or a better executive, but what makes you different? And what are the things that you can do? And it's in my class. I mean, it's over two weeks. But um, that, that can make you stand out in the marketplace. Um, and I think about certain people, particularly two female producers, that I think have really strong personal brands. And one is um, Shonda Rhimes. Mm-hmm. And Reese, heard of her. Yes. Mm-hmm. And heard of her and Reese Witherspoon. And I don't mean Reese as an actress. I mean her as a producer and a businesswoman with a personal brand. I think um, they're both killing it in terms of, of that. Well, that does seem like there's a shift we've seen in the last, you know, call it 10, 20, 10 years, mm-hmm. this, this shift to a new sort of breed of celebrity that, yes. is, that is, you know, not just one thing, not just an mm-hmm. actor, not just a, a writer or director or, or a, you know, spokesperson, but can do so many things. And that does seem like a, a very um, considered way to really have a, to really extend your career, yes. that you won't just be pigeonholed as to one thing. I would imagine that that's, is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, 100%. And also understanding what your strengths are. I mean, I've started businesses where I, because I was using my own money, I was everywhere. Like I was like, there is an HR problem and they're at a comedy club and it's a, it's a, it's a business function, but they're in the hallway fighting about something about business, but they're not on campus, they're not on, you know, at our, at our headquarters, but then I'm getting that call in the middle of the night, like dealing with that. Or operations, or pick, pack, and chip, and all these different things that I realized were not my strength. 
So as all of us expand and, and want to scale and, and take our careers and our businesses to the next level, it is so important to find strong people that specialize in those things. And I realize my strength is the creative side of business. And I understand business now, especially because of my, my teachings at Harvard, but it's not my expertise, nor does it excite me to really look at a spreadsheet and call the accountants and you know, deal with the finance. I'm more strategy and, and, and marketing and I think we, if we all can figure out what our strengths are and what we love and figure out how to partner with other people that have those other strengths, like this room is like unstoppable. Uh, from your lips. Um, what does, you have an, an just awesome social media platform in terms of you said about 50 million. Like what, what, obviously that gives you reach, but what does that do for you as a businesswoman, as a personality in terms mm-hmm. of your ability to communicate directly? Yes. Yeah, it's very valuable, right? So it's super valuable. I know when um, I joined um, America's Got Talent last year as the host, um, they the, for, for season 11, this is the year before I joined, they um, had 1 billion views of their videos across different platforms, you know, like kind of the re-showing of, of different uh, video clips. When I joined and gave them access to my Facebook page, that number jumped to 2.7 billion in that year, and they got to 1 billion views in four weeks with access to my account. So I do understand that there is a lot of value there. At the same time, I, when I talk to my students about social media, I teach them about a certain aesthetic and a certain way to post and all different types of things. But I do tell them, I'm like, but I'm that manicurist that has really bad nails, but will hook you up. So don't look at my pages. They're a hot mess. Um, but this is what you should do. And I, I realized that I was doing a lot of that in class this year of saying, I don't do it, but this is what you guys should do in social or, or even with physical branding. This is what you should do. Or with your, you know, start a podcast. You really need to do that. And I wasn't doing any of that. Mm. And I'm tired of being that teacher that is like, my hair looks whack, but I'm going to hook you up and you can have the best blow dry. Um, and so I am doubling down on a digital strategy, not just social media, but a digital strategy and, and hiring a team to really focus on that. And I'm doing so many different things now that, um, that I can now teach and be proud of. And that will be through Bankable as well? That will be through Bankable Productions, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. I have the Tyra Banks company, and I have Bankable Productions and some other things that I can't talk about publicly right now um, underneath that umbrella. And on top of all of this, you have a two-and-a-half-year-old at home. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, yes. His name is York, most definitely. And he looks like I spit him out. Looks exactly <laughs> like me, big forehead and everything. Um, but, yeah, he's my precious. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. A, a very full life. And I can't let you go without um, asking you to talk a little bit about um, you are, I think it sounds like you're realizing a, a long-held um, ambition to return to the world of life size. Yes. The Disney movie that, that many of you have seen or your kids have your yes. kids have seen. Tell yes. us about how Life Size Two came so about. So Life Size Two. I was in a meeting with um Disney, um the Disney Channel about five years ago. And they had called a meeting with me because they were interested in me producing sitcoms for them, kind of like Hannah Montana and they wanted uh my company to produce those. And so in the room, we're just laughing, and I'm like, oh, y'all know that y'all presented Life Size 2 to me, like, 10 years ago, and Lindsay Lohan had said yes, but I passed because I wanted to be a serious actress and be a drug addict. I was like, I'm going to be an MTA. I'm going to be a model turned actress. And so I passed on it. And they were like, there's a Life Size 2 script? I was like, yeah, it's somewhere. And they were like, 
can we focus on that and put the sitcom <laughs> stuff to the side? So that's what ended up happening in that meeting. Uh, so there was no, like, Hannah Montyra or whatever we were going to create. And, and we focused on life size. It has been five years and, like, six writers. I'm getting it up. And going from Disney Channel to Disney Channel, realizing that the life size girl has now aged out of Disney Channel. So now it's going to be on Freeform. Um, and so we have an amazing writer uh, who is very close. We're in the middle of casting. The executive producer working on it is Stephanie Elaine. Um, sure. And yeah. I love working with her. Um, and, yeah, it's coming. And what I'm so excited about casting is, so we are just casting good actors. So, okay, say there's, like, a sister. There's two sisters. I'm just looking at great actresses. And, like, there's one girl, she's Asian, another girl's Latin. And we'll, we're just going to reverse engineer why they're sisters. So that's what we're doing with the whole thing. We're, like, going to change the script based on just who the best actors are. And that is so exciting for me. And I'm on a search for a hot male Asian actor. I was up at 4 a.m. last night. And my, my director knows um, Stephen Tushita. Tushita. Uh, sending him, I was like, he's hot. What about him? What about him? So can you guys hit me up with like hot, like, like Asian male actors that can play 25? I don't care if he's 37, just can play 25. And so I have a passion for this because my partner on America's Next Top Model, Ken Mock, is um, Chinese. And when we added um, male models to America's Next Top Model, um, we wanted to take away the stereotype of the Asian male in theater of like being asexual and just not being sexy. And so um, one season we cast a guy named Jay, and um, we called himself Jay Smooth. He was Korean from Seoul, you know, sub Seoul was Seoul. And um, and so because Ken and I are so close, it's now a mission that I continue. So really looking for that guy. I suspect your DMs will be like. Off the right? By the time you get off the stage. <laughs> but I hope it's from you guys and not like, yo, baby, you know, I'm from I'm from Korea. What's up? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> those happen. <laughs> also, again, must be gratifying to you. In the, the first go around on, on Life Size, you were cast into the into the show. Yes. This time around, you made it happen. Which is so interesting, right? And also at that time. Um, they were going with a white actress, very well-known actress at, the, at that time. And my manager begged them to let me audition. And they were like, oh, I don't know. And I just kind of went in there and shocked them. And they had to redo the doll and make her black and do all of this stuff. They had to find a doll off the shelf that looked nothing like me because I got cast at the last minute because we changed their minds. Um, so, But at least this time the doll will look like me. I went to that thing, you know, where you, like, take a million pictures of yourself, and, like, then they do the cast of you, and, like, so there's a me with, like, no eyebrows and no eyes, and, like, like, so it'll definitely look like me this year. Yes. And the great thing, what, what I think was great about Life Size is there was this little girl, Lindsay Lohan, white girl, who had this black doll that changed her life, you know, and I think that was such a great message for young girls, because there's so much history when it comes to dolls, and you know, 50, 60 years ago, and there's, there were experiments um, where um, black kids did not want black dolls. Um, they wanted the white doll. Um, so Which this means a lot to me. tells you about the cultural tells you about the cultural, yeah, exactly, and the, and, the, and the society and self-hatred and things that were projected on us. So I remember being a little girl, my mom got me all the Barbies. So I had the white Barbie and the Asian Barbie, and the, she was called Hispanic Barbie back in the day, and all the black Barbies. Um, and to this day, when my son sees a black Barbie, he goes, Mommy. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy. <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you so much, Tyra. We are just about out of time. But before you go, yes. I want to ask you, um, you said that you have a really big appetite for risk. Yes. What would you say is, you know, what would you say is the, the biggest thing that you might have learned from taking a risk that maybe didn't work out? Don't use my own damn money. <laughs> <laughs> and I had all these people, what are you doing? You don't know. The CEO of Chobani used his own money and look at his empire. So he was my role model. I was like, he did it. And look what he, child. Mm-mm. I don't want to tell you how many millions, but I went to, that was some education. Yes. Was that on a TV show or a I'm not going to say what retail? it was, but it was my own money. And now I am launching something that is massive. It is not content, but it is a massive, massive project next year. And not my money. <laughs> OPM. OPM, yes, which is actually my um, Harvard program, owner, president, manager. Oh. <laughs> yes, so my friends all joke, like, girl, you went to OPM. What you doing using your money? Like, OPM, other people's money. Yeah. That's wonderful, Tyra. <laughs> Tyra, thank you so much for your time. Thank really you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Strictly Business. <laughs>